Welcome back to the Cattleman You Podcast. In this episode, we have something a little different for you today. This episode is actually a teaser for what you'll find in the Cattleman You membership. Each month in Cattleman You membership, we have what's called the Profit Panel, which is a live Q&A in which the speakers in the monthly section all get together and have a conversation. This episode is a recording from February 2022, where we covered the cattle markets. You'll hear from Shaylee Stewart, Lonnie Pierce, Tina Colby, Caitlin McGolek, Andrew Griffin, and Brenda Vodal. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and what each speaker brought to the table. One of my goals with the Profit Panel is to allow you to follow up and to ask those questions. I absolutely hate at a conference when you hear a great speaker and you have all of these notes and that's it. You don't know how to contact them or even if you do, there's such a delay that sometimes the passion and the spark in your thoughts run out. So we do these profit panels every single month. So not only can you hear from the speakers in the sections, but you get to follow up. And if they're an expert in something that they didn't talk about, you are able to ask them about that. So I hope you enjoy this little profit panel section and thank you so much for listening to the Cattleman You podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Cattleman You podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattleman You. Through our conversations here, we share the latest ideas and techniques to help you start, improve, and expand your farmer ranch. Join us as we visit with industry experts and cattle producers to get honest ins and outs of beef production. We'll dive into topics such as cattle handling, nutrition, cattle markets, genetics, and so much more. We encourage everyone who's involved in the industry to listen. Let's dive in. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. This is a month that... I really enjoy, I really enjoy these topics and I've enjoyed the presentations. I think this topic is really relevant tonight. We're going to, of course, give a little market update. And I will tell you that I was at a bull sale today and the bulls cost a thousand bucks more than they cost last year. So I think that that is going to be something that we probably talk about and we hint on um, as we talk about some markets tonight. But as you have questions, don't hesitate to ask them in the chat. If you're catching the replay and you have questions for a specific speaker or all of the speakers, I'm happy to relay that information. So just ask them and I can send everyone an email and get your questions answered. So let's just go around um, the room that we have here today and have everyone introduce themselves a little bit and then we will get started. Caitlin, do you want to go first? Sure. Hi, I'm Caitlin McCulloch. I'm the Director of Livestock Marketing Information Center located in Denver, Colorado. I'm Lonnie Pates. I'm with USDA Livestock Poultry Grain Market News Office in St. Joseph, Missouri. I'm the market reporting supervisor covering four states of Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, and Iowa. Perfect. And you teamed up with Tina. Tina, would you like to go next? Good evening, everybody. I'm Tina Colby, and I am the supervisor market reporter in uh, Oklahoma City. I work for USDA Livestock Poultry Grain Market News, just like Lonnie. And I am also over the, not the whole state of Texas, but the Texas panhandle as well. Andrew Griffith, a livestock economist at the University of Tennessee. I'm Brenda Botel. I'm the livestock market economist for the University of Wisconsin, and I'm a professor at UW-River Falls. 
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Shaylee Stewart here. I'm a livestock market analyst for DTN, host of the Cattle Market News Facebook page and owner of The Country Genetics in Cody, Wyoming. Perfect. So I think the best place to start is what does the forecast look like for the market? I love this question. As you all know, I buy 30,000 feeder calves a year. So this is a question I get every single day. If I had a crystal ball, I probably wouldn't tell you. Probably buy them for myself if they made money. But I do think it's um, there are some trends and I think there's more trends than we realize. So you guys can kind of take that however you want. Um, we'll go around the room. But if you want to talk about feeder calves, if you want to talk about bread cattle, if you want to talk about uh, seed stock, kind of any avenue uh, works for us. So we'll just go the same way. We'll start with Caitlin. Well, um, I'll, I guess I'll tackle uh, the fed cattle market. Um, we are expecting fed cattle prices to remain elevated for most of this year, especially relative to 2021. On an annual basis, we're expecting about an 11 to probably 15% increase on the annual average. Originally, we were thinking probably the second quarter was where your top was going to be put in. Uh, this cash market, though, is very hot right now, and we might see it a little bit sooner than, than second quarter. I believe we traded 142 today on the fave area. So some of this is still going to be some demand pull coming through and some supply chain ripples affecting how people are buying beef. We still have a little bit uh, lower kill levels at the slaughter plant side due to absenteeism, sometimes weather like we saw in January. And so all of that is affecting the fed cattle market. Now we do have a lot of cattle on feed and the placements in January are expected to push that number to record high levels. And I think that's going to be somewhat problematic in that summer quarter. So we're still expecting a lower summer quarter seasonally than the rest of the year. I'll go ahead and stop there and pass it to someone else. Slaughter levels are probably at the highest levels they've been in several years. Uh, just looking at today's daily slaughter, cattle slaughter at 122,000. That's quite a bit. Uh, we had been running in that 116 to 120,000 per day. You know, you sit and look at that and that's really moving some beef for, through the pipeline. Uh, we look at this drought situation. I look at it from a standpoint, I like to look at it on a yearly basis. And so that uh, beef cow slaughter of 9% more in 2021 than in 2020 sure does uh, intrigue me as far as the supply of feeder calves moving forward. So I think with lower supply, we get better demand for feeder cattle. I think that uh, the fall runs are going to be great. Uh, and I think that they're going to be, uh, the prices are going to probably not hit those levels we've seen in the early teens or or whenever we had our um, our cow herd reduction back there in that last cycle. And along the lines, I just pulled up a spreadsheet I had here. If you look at that uh, beef cow slaughter compared to the previous five-year average, that's 20% more in 2021 than the previous five-year average. So I'm going to let Tina move along to some feeder kettle. I think it's also interesting, uh, the drought conditions that we've been in. Um, people are marketing cattle a lot sooner than what they typically would. This wheat has been maturing, I know, out here in Oklahoma and parts of Texas a lot sooner. And, and those producers are having those, or the wheat producers are having the cattle people pull the cattle early and market them, send them to the feed yard. Um, calf prices are extremely good despite these drought conditions. However, if you look down on the futures market, you go down into August and we see, you know, that futures market at 185. 
that's awfully enticing for these grass people to buy these calves right now. So also with with marketing those cattle early, um, I believe that might leave a hole for these grass cattle, you know, come June, thinking that maybe we won't have the numbers in June that we typically would seeing those cattle come off of grass in June. So that that might be a hole in the feeder market and maybe it'll be a little better then, but but we'll see. There's going to be an issue with calves. You know, we have some producers that have filled up completely and we have a lot of grass producers who haven't even started because they don't have feed. So I think it is, I think supply is going to be a big issue. Go ahead, Andrew. Sorry about that. I'm not a 30, I don't buy 30,000 a year for, for other folks, but I do buy several for myself. It's a second job for sure. Maybe more important than UT's job. As far as the market's concerned, I think we've already got a good idea what the live cattle market's going to do. And the simple of this is we're talking about a bullish market for the next three years, probably. Given how long it takes to, number one, we're in drought conditions, still in a lot of places. You you just, I mean, as just mentioned, we, we can't put caves some places because we don't have any grass because of drought. Now, granted, we're paying a hundred dollars more. Had forty nine head come in yet today? Today, I guess, and uh, they're a hundred dollars higher than the ones that were bought four weeks ago. But we're talking about a market that is stronger in two thousand twenty two, and two thousand twenty three prices will be stronger than that. And I'm not going to say two thousand twenty four prices will be stronger than two thousand twenty three, but they're still going to be stronger. And I mean, two thousand twenty four is still going to be a good year for the feeder cattle market and probably the live cattle market as long as beef demand holds up. I mean, I'm just going to kind of iterate the same thing. I mean, it is a bullish market. Uh, I don't see how it's not going to change that way. The demand's going to, even with some of the drought, we're going to have some demand because we have uh, enough of that availability. When we look at demand as far as for beef too, we're still maintaining that even with high prices and that. So there's going to have to be a lot of change, things that would change for it to not become that bullish market that we're seeing. Shaylee? Well, I first want to say that everyone listening is really lucky. This is an awesome panel of speakers, and I think you're going to walk away with a lot of knowledge here. And so I'll wrap it up with some concluding thoughts. And I guess I'm going to talk about cycles. And so when we were in 2012, and then we obviously knew what happened to feeder cattle prices shortly thereafter, a lot of people were kind of left in the dust because they didn't either have calves to market, they didn't have the grass, or they were just kind of caught blindsided because they didn't realize that the market was going to do what it did in 2014 and 2015. So as you listen to all these other speakers tell you that the live cattle market is going to be bullish, the feeder cattle market is going to be bullish, I guess I'd look at you and I say, what do you want your role in this market to be? And I know that sometimes there's limiting factors, whether that be funds, whether that be grass, what have you, but I'm here to tell you that they are not wrong in their analysis and that you need to be on the, um, on the front side of this market if you want to play. So don't be caught in the same trap that you were potentially caught in in the last cattle cycle and not able to play when prices were extremely higher than what they have been in years past. Yeah, I like how you talk a little bit about cycles and history repeating itself. One of my most vivid memories, it was the first year I got out of college and I started buying cattle full time and I had a farmer feeder in Nebraska who feeds a good amount of cattle, 13,000 or 15,000, took me into the basement of his office and he had the markets mapped out on the wall. And he said, when we stand over here and you look at those markets, you see the pattern, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, for some reason, we can see the pattern from back here, but when we get up close to it, we forget there's a pattern. And I always remember that, I mean, he had them mapped out on multiple walls 
I do think that that is something when we get up close, sometimes we forget about the opportunity. And the other thing too is even in this type of market, I think that the more creative you can be and you can find opportunities, I think you can find opportunities when the market's good. And I think you can find opportunities when the market's not good, when it's a little bit lower, but you have to decide what kind of player you want to be and be ready to play. It does look like it's going to be good the next few years. And so I think the next question that we want to go to is what are some opportunities, some ways that people can start um, or take advantage of the market? And we'll actually switch it around. So we'll start with you, Shaylee. Yeah, that's a really good question, especially given what we just talked about. And I'm sure that everybody's going to talk about feeder cattle prices, live cattle market. And so I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about females. I know that a lot of you have been pressed with drought conditions. And I'm just here to tell you that if you were in the last cycle, you remember what female prices did. We saw females get up to $3,000 a pop. And yes, it's invigorating. Yes, it's exciting. Yes, it's fun to sit in those sales where prices are just blowing the tops off the barns. But if you're wanting to get into females, I would be, I would caution you because time is ticking. Dollars are becoming more and more expensive to get into these cattle. And I know that you've got to have feed for them. I know that, you know what, you got to make it right with your banker. And sometimes it's not always easy, but if you're wanting to play the game, decide how you're going to do it. And I'd say like, like Caroline said, get creative. And I'd be getting after those strategy plans sooner rather than later. Brenda. Yeah. How, how do you get into it? it? First and foremost, exactly. I agree with that. You have to have a plan, you know, and I mean, the, you can't always necessarily follow the plan exactly as you want, but if you don't have it, you're just going to be beholden to what is the whims. And then you end up investing at times when the prices are high. And guess what? As you're talking about the cycle, then they start going low right as you're about ready to get those animals there. So you do have to be cautious of that. So you kind of have to look at um, when it is that you can do these investments, when it is that you can get involved in this. So right now, how do you get into this? If you don't have anything at this point, you know, where are you at? Like, what is it that you're wanting to build? Where are you in that system? Are you wanting to grow? Are you wanting to build? Are you wanting to just maintain? Um, There's a lot of different questions on that, a lot of different ways in which you're looking at it. You know, do you have a lot of equity? Do you not? So it kind of is a little bit unique to each individual producer out there. Um, but the first and foremost is what I tell people all the time is write down what you want to do, because you know what, in a week or two, when the market changes or in six months, when the market's changed, if you've written it down, you're going to be remembered what your goals were, uh, because otherwise six months from now, your goals, you might think this was your goal six months ago, but you know, we all have uh, selective memories in that cases. And it's like, I would have never thought that, but when I go back and look at what I wrote, I'm like, oh yeah, I did say I thought this was going to be okay. And I should be happy with where I'm at right now. Yeah. Andrew. I don't know if I even remember the initial question. So I'm just going to build off of some of those thoughts. I think of this from, from two different aspects, right? I'm, I'm an ag economist and I'm also a, a farmer and cattle producer. And so something that I preach quite a bit is flexibility I strictly look at the cattle business as a business. If I'm not going to make money, I'm not buying cattle. I mean, it's, it's that simple. I, I play in the, the stalker cattle business. I play in the stock cow business. I play in the bread heifer business. And I don't do all those every year. It's, it's all dependent upon what the market is saying to me and where the, the largest profitability is. So if we go back to the, the idea of, generating a a goal 
hey, Andrew Griffith's goal is I want to make $200 a head on every animal that I that I buy. That's the goal. I mean, I'm, I'm very specific. I need $200 a head. Now, that's $200 head of profit, economic profit. And so if you're not an economist, you might think of accounting profit. Well, accounting-wise, I hope I'm paying taxes on more than $200. The, the whole thing of this is is we have producers that get so pigeonholed in what they're doing that they think that's the only thing they can do. And and I'll give you, for instance, a stocker cattle producers just in general. Well, I always need to buy 500 to 550 pound steers. Well, that's not necessarily always the case. There's There are times when you ought to be buying 650 pound steers because they're a better purchase than a 550 pound steer. Sometimes you need to be buying bulls. Sometimes you need to be buying heifers. All those things play into it. You know, flexibility is the name of this game, and that's where these situations, when you have terrible drought, if you if you can't move animals, you pigeonhole yourself, and you kind of stuck. You know, you generate you spend a lot of time building a genetic base. Sometimes the only way you can keep that alive is by putting it in semen, because if if it gets bad, you know. Read an article today about the Horn of Africa. You know, it's you know fifteen thousand dead livestock or something like that is what it was in the Horn of Africa because of drought. Can that happen to us? You bet it can. Uh, we hadn't seen it yet, but you just wait because it, it'll come at some point. Absolutely, Tina. Well, I think I'm going to talk two different avenues here. So, if, if you're just looking to get into the business, um, my big deal is to educate yourself first what the values are of these animals. I mean, if you have no idea what the cost is of anything, how are you going to know if a market's high or low? You need to go back and look at trends and know what the cattle cycles are again. You know, like the springtime is typically a pretty high time to be buying replacement cows and pairs. Look at when seasonally it's better if you want to buy cows and or replacement cows. Same with calves. If you'd rather get into the stalker business, look at when it's a cheaper time to be buying stockers than, you know, versus the popular time when everybody else is doing it. You know, if everybody else is doing it, maybe you ought to do the opposite. A lot of times I see that's that's the best case. If you're in the business already, um, I've seen a lot of times where people try to chase markets. You know, you, you've got a pretty good market and you keep saying, well, I bet it's going to get higher next week. I'll just sell next week. And then all of a sudden you get into a trap. You know, chasing markets to me is is kind of silly and, you know, set a plan, know what you need for your, your animals, know where your break-evens break are and what you could make and go ahead and make the plan and market cattle. So that's kind of my thoughts. Bonnie? I'm going to kind of expound a little bit uh, with Andrew, with what Andrew said about being flexible. Just as a personal thing here, we had uh, business come to us and say, hey, we want to be able to download your information so we can get as much up-to-date information as possible. And they wanted to break it into Southeast, Midwest, uh, North Plains, uh, South Plains, you know, markets. So where they were going to buy feeder cattle at, and they wanted to uh, look at specific markets so they can hit a button, refresh all their data and get that most latest information through our API, through our mymarketnews.ams.usda.gov website. They can get that up-to-date information they know where their hedging opportunities are so they can go ahead and they can, before they buy those cattle, they're hedged. They know where they're going to go. They know where they're going to come from and the flexibility. They know if they can buy a 550 pounder or buy a 450 or a 650, whether it be steers or heifers. 
I think a lot of our data that we have within our databases, uh, as well as I think that's fed to LMIC as well, that they... Uh, the flexibility there to be able to see where you can buy cattle and and make that profit, uh, just like Andrew's doing. Well, already a lot of really good comments. So I'm going to take this in a totally different direction. Um, I think there could be some real opportunities on the hay market. Uh, the last two years, Western drought has really created a situation where hay supplies are extremely tight. It's not just that it's, it's expensive, available, maybe not. And so if you are in a position where you can put up a lot of hay, there might be an opportunity to sell it to someone else. Or it could be a good risk mitigation strategy to have some on hand. In the last two years, it seems like some of those stocking um, or breeding decisions have somewhat been made for us by the weather. And if you don't have feed supplies on hand or can't get them or can't buy them, et cetera, that can be a real, a real struggle. And I'll give you our hay outlook. So we're not expecting hay acres to gain any ground here. There's just too many other high price crops that, that they're just not going to be able to bid those acres away. And new alfalfa seedings were down 25% this year. That is an extremely low number. It's the lowest number in any of the data sets, below 2 million acres. We have alfalfa season average price next year being over 230 nationally. So if you think about where your market is, especially in the Northern Plains, those markets are going to be very tight from the hay side. And so there could be some opportunities or at least some, some opportunities for you to hedge against possibly not having enough feed supplies. Yeah, I think all of you guys had really great points. And I want to explain a little bit about flexibility and what that looks like in real life and how it works in our operation. So my dad and I sit in a sale barn. We sit in about seven to eight sale barns a week between the two of us. And we have a sale barn ticket from anywhere from a 250 pound steer, heifer, or bull all the way up to a 1200 pounder. And we have the price that we can get them home and make it work and make 150 bucks a head. He can be sitting three hours away from me and his opportunity is 700 pound heifer calves. And I can be sitting in a different barn and the opportunity is 300 pound bull calves. Having some of that flexibility looks like being willing to go to a sale and raise your hand all day long and buy one head. That works. And I think a lot of times we get in a hurry as producers. I see this when we market calves, right? Guys will make a quick decision when the market rallies like it did in those teen years and they left 10 bucks on the table. I think sometimes we get too much in a rut um, and we need to step away and really view and be willing to be flexible and change our game plan a little bit to fit what's happening in the environment. But that's a very realistic look about what flexibility looks like when you're buying calves is you don't know what the day is going to bring. You don't know who's going to get filled up. You don't know what's going to come to town. And knowing where each one of those sets of cattle break even allows you to have an opportunity on the market. It's time to start thinking about your goals for the new year and how you're going to get there. Finding a community and learning from others can help you reach your goals. Cowman U membership is accepting new members from January 16th through 19th with doors opening on January 15th for those on the wait list. The membership is perfect for you or anyone you know who's progressive and proactive. Not only that, but Cattleman U members will get first chance to purchase their spot to our new She's a Hand Ranch Camp. Sign up for the wait list at CattlemanUlive.com backslash join and get 20% off when you become a member. Okay, so one question that we really get, and I don't know if all of you need to really answer this, but 
We get a lot of questions from cow-calf producers who want to be able to play in the futures market. And they don't know how, as just a cow-calf guy who sells right off the cow, is there, and again, I don't know if all of you need to answer this, but can we walk through some of the options or some of the ways that they can get involved in futures and hedging, even if they just sell their calves right off the cow? I don't know who wants to start that, but I get that question a lot. I can start and then maybe Andy can go after. So if you want to get into the futures and the options, I mean, it's there. If you're going to get into futures and options, the first thing I would tell everyone is to know what is your objective. Are you in it for risk management or are you in it to try to increase profits? Because they are vastly different um, approaches. Even you might be doing the same thing but the mentality of what it is that you're doing and why you're doing it are going to need to be different. Asking yourself that first, you know, because if it's, if it's risk management, then, you know, you're, you're looking at it from a point of, okay, I've figured out beforehand what I want my price to be. And I'm going to get that. And when I see some losses in the futures, I'm going to be willing to maybe take that a little bit more. You know, if you're trying to increase your profits, which is not a risk management thing, but basically you're saying, hey, I'm going to increase some of this. You know, it's, it's basically a speculator and, you know, you're going to have to approach it that from a different point. First, before you before you do anything, before you get into it in that way. So just just understand what it is that you want to do. The next is then I would kind of make sure you have enough um, if you are. Do you have, if you don't have enough money in your brokerage account, are you going to have a line of credit to be able to handle that if you want, if you get those margin calls? The next is, do you want to be actively trading it yourself? Um, Do you have enough confidence in that to be able to enter the market and get out of the market and have enough discipline to take that emotion out? Or you want to pay a little bit more and have a broker who's going to be helping you. So those would be the first things that I, I would look at. And, and I would tell anyone, if you don't think you can take the emotion out when you start losing money or start gaining money, um, as you said, don't chase in the market in that case. If you don't think you can take the, that emotion out and you want to use it for risk management, I would advise people to make sure that they are working with somebody for the broker who can help them take that emotion out because that that gets pretty costly pretty quickly if you can't do that. So that's how I'd start. Yeah, Brenda, you did a great job. I mean, you touched on a lot of things that were already in my mind, but it, it spurred some more thoughts as you were talking. Yeah, you're either a speculator, so that means you, you don't have to own cattle. It doesn't matter. So if you want to be a speculator and use the futures market, have at it. Do, nothing else matters. You just go after it and you speculate, and yet you try to let that be your job for you know the rest of your life if that's what you want it to be. Might last two days. Might last 20 years. Who knows? When you run out of money, you'll know. Or you can look at it from a hedging standpoint. And from a hedging standpoint, the most basic thing to know is if you're truly a hedger, you better make sure you have 50,000 pounds of feeder cattle or you have 40,000 pounds of live cattle. If you don't have those, this is probably not your game because then you open yourself up to a different type of risk. On top of that, when Caroline asked, what about these producers that sell straight off the cow? Well, okay, so that's fine. Uh, it it kind of depends because I know people that sell calves straight off the cow at 450 pounds, and I know people that sell ca- calves straight off the cow at 750 pounds. Two different things. If if anybody reads any literature, there was some 
great new research out from Kansas State talking about basis risk. And that that research shows that basis risk on those lighter calves is a lot more volatile than the heavier calves. I believe I read that right. I, maybe I didn't. Doesn't matter. Basis risk is, is always a possibility. And so when you're going in here looking at this as a hedger, you have to realize that your local market price is not going to be exactly the price of the futures market. So you have to go in, and Brenda made a great comment from the standpoint of removing that emotion from it, because you go in with a hedging strategy of you want to make $200 a head. Well, what price do you have to have to get $200 a head? So you take the, the futures price and you subtract the basis or add the basis, depending on which one it is, right? And you and you plug and play right there just to get what you have to have to make your $200 a head. And then you better have, like she said, you better have the line of credit to hold your position. Uh, and you better know your banker well and have a good a good relationship to hold that position. Otherwise, you could get caught like some of these guys did in 2014 and 15, and they had hedge positions, and then the market just kept going up, going up, going up, and their bankers didn't like that a whole lot. So then they had to pull out at certain times, and it really killed them in 2016 when they were holding positions. Then they had to pull out of positions, then the market collapsed. The basic thing is make sure you you have what it actually takes to hedge, and if you want to be a speculator, come on, I want to see it happen. Sometimes I like it myself. There's a lot of risk in it. But I use, I, I've used, I use futures and options to hedge all the time. Doesn't hurt my feelings to go ahead and lock in a profit and just raise cattle. Andrew, those are great points. How many times did, back there did uh, the bankers say, oh, well, you got to hedge them, you got to hedge them, you got to hedge them. And then they pulled, whenever they started having to make those margin calls, guess what? The banker didn't want to stand behind them with a separate hedging account from their operating loan. That is a great thing that the banker needs to know what's going on. They need to understand hedging. They need to go to one of these private companies, any of those companies that trade on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and go to a producer meeting. And a lot of times, banks will actually host producer meetings from these private companies. And those are the places that the banker needs to be there and the producer needs to be there. The only time that uh, I know that people want to play the futures is they want to short the board. Because they think the market's going to go down every time. They never think it's going to get higher than where it's at. Buyer beware whenever you uh, kind of play with that. But margin calls, if you think straight cash mentality, it's not your place. I'm going to jump in there and I'm going to kind of turn this in an opposite direction. You know, we talk about the futures market so often in this line of business and it's fun. It's exciting, right? It's kind of these these fancy new buzzwords. And if you're really going to be in the market, you're going to play in the futures market, right? Well, I think that's kind of a dangerous mentality that so many cattlemen kind of get thrown at them. And I actually want to ask you, I want to say, you know, like like uh, Brenda started off with, you know, what what is your goal? Why are you wanting to get into the futures market? And so before you decide to dive into realistically a whole new market, I, I ask you, are you making the most money possible in the market that you're already trading in? When are you selling your feeder cattle? Why are you selling them, them then? What weights are you marketing them at? And then let's think about your cows too. What do you do with your coal cows? Are you just selling them the day after you uh, preg check them and then they just go to town the next day? Is that, are you, are you gaining the most 
opportunity in which the market has to yield. So I think that sometimes it can be dangerous to get into the futures market because it just seems like the hot, trendy new thing to do. And it can cost producers a lot of money when actually you could just get to your balance sheet, get to your budget and really look at home at what you're already doing and see that there's opportunity for you to make more money currently already doing what you're exactly doing. I did a presentation just recently on the most money left on the table is coal cows. We all sell them in October. There's too many of them in October. And if you just tweak that a little bit, it makes a big difference when you run a couple hundred mother cows and you take your drives to town. The other thing that I I think about the futures market, and I've gone to lots of seminars and trainings with my dad on the market, and we lock our cattle in on a pretty consistent basis. What When we first started trading cattle together, My dad was very happy with a $50 profit. And we went to a seminar. It was a three-day seminar in Idaho. And at the end of the seminar, the guy sat my dad down and said, you make double the money when your high-risk daughter's involved in the trading scenarios. You're not even paying the broker when you do it yourself. I think it is appealing to get into the futures market and to really want to play in that game. But if it's actually not returning more dollars, if that's your goal, right? If your goal is more profit and at the end of the day, you're spending more time to get a 50 buck ahead profit, it's probably not worth it. And so sometimes we don't want to admit that. And as business owners, we do a lot of things that probably aren't worth the money, but we have to put them on a teeter totter, right? And we have to weigh the time and the energy and the effort in with that profitability. So we have one last question and it's a pretty open-ended one, a piece of advice that you'd give a producer kind of in this overall topic. So I don't know if we want to start in the middle. I might not be able to go in the same order, but we can start with you, Tina. I think I would have to say in this business, don't do any rash moves. Find somebody that's a mentor that you can talk to that you know will give you straight answers. You know, if you if you go to the sale barn and you sell your cattle and you think, I've got the best cattle here, why did they not sell very good? Look for somebody that's going to tell you the real answer, like they were just too fleshy or maybe... You know, you should have weaned them before you sold them. Get educated on these kind of things. You know, some sometimes you might have to take somebody telling you they don't like your cattle or everybody likes black now, or maybe they're too fleshy. If they're a little thinner, they might have sold a little higher. Take some criticism sometimes that might help you out. Lonnie, are you next? I'm going to reiterate like what Tina had to say. Um, Also, I think another big thing going on right now, get a good hold on your expenses. Right now, everything has just gone. The the cost of production has just gone up so much just in the last year. A friend of mine here local went to go price his fertilizer first pasture. Last year, it was 50 bucks an acre. This year, priced it at 143 an acre. My suggestion, if you're going to try to get into things, get a grip on on expenses because right now I think that's a that's a huge thing because it, depending on what you're selling, payday can be a long way away. I would agree, Caitlin. I feel like we've already touched on a lot of things that that maybe I would tell in a producer, and I think one of the key ones was flexibility. Um, I think we all tend to have recency bias where we think of the past and of the near term and and think that that's how the markets or you know, the growing season is going to be forever. And, and these things can change fairly fast. 
And so I think it's important to be to be flexible and and to have maybe a few scenarios that you have penciled out to kind of know where those ranges are and tolerances are so that that can help you make the best decisions, whether it's on the expense side or the marketing side, you're in and you're out and even depending on the time of year. Shaylee? Lots of good advice here. And I'm going to echo some of the thoughts. I think single-handedly, one of the biggest, most influential pieces that has helped me in my career is having a mentor. And when you have a mentor, like uh, Tina shared, you're going to have to eat some humble pie and you're going to have to be willing to ask some dumb questions and have some funny faces made at you. But if you're hungry and you're interested in learning, you're going to ask those questions and you're going to humble yourself and, and take a step back and let your ego sit on the back burner and ask the questions that you need to ask. Secondly, I think one of the most things that I remind myself of the most is, is that you make your money the day you buy, not the day you sell. Andrew, are you next? You know, thinking about everything that's been said, it reminds me of kind of how I started. And what I realized is you can't learn everything about this business overnight. You're not going to learn it all in a year. And 30 years from now, you're still not going to know everything. And so it's a process. Yeah, mentors are very important. Asking questions are very important. I wear telephones out. I mean, whether it be about cattle or crops, I wear them out. And I don't mind calling people and I don't mind sharing my my screw ups um, because when when I do, I learn something else from somebody else. If you don't if you don't have a goal in mind of the whole operation, you know that the thing about it is anything that you start, you have to have a reason for why you're doing it. As I travel in the southeast and and I mean I've made I've traveled to several states here lately. You realize that profit is not always the only objective. And so we talk about that all the time as economists that that's the key, you know, you got to make money, got to make money. As long as you're still achieving your other objectives, you know, they need to be ordered, you know, whatever they are. And as long as you're achieving your top several objectives and and you're not going broke doing it, I can't say that you're doing it wrong. Because there's there's a lot to this business, and uh, I don't think people last long if they lose money. And Brenda, I'll kind of say sum it up in the, in the way in the fact that everyone's got the points there. I mean, I would argue yes, you have to know your cost of production, um, you know, or an expectation of what your cost of production is going to be. Realizing again, t- tying in the flexibility. Nothing ever works the way you expect it to, right? You know, everything always takes longer. Uh, everything always takes longer. It's never as easy as you think and so forth. As a lot of these guys have said, you, you got to be willing to ask the questions. You have to be willing to admit, okay, maybe I didn't do this the best the or right the first time, or maybe not right, but I could do it better the next time. But you're having to constantly revise. So just because you know what your cost of production for this particular lot of cattle doesn't mean it's going to be the same for the next, you know, the marketing decisions are always going to change, you know, so that plays in with that flexibility, plays in with those questions of if you can ask all the questions now, don't forget that you can constantly be learning. You can learn from people older than you, younger than you, the same age as you, people who haven't ever done this before. Guess what? They might have a totally different perspective than you, and it might give you some insight into some ways that it could work. So those are some of the things that I would say. But I do agree with Andrew, too, in the the idea of, you know, we all want to be the most profitable. You know, what's your goal is that, you know, I also know there's sometimes people, you know, it's not about the being the most 
profitable on that particular one. It's about having the bragging rights when you go to the coffee shop. Again, what's your goal? And just knowing that beforehand um, and just trying to get that goal. That's that's probably the best that I would tell to people. The theme that comes up every single time we do one of these profit panels, and all of you alluded to it, it's just a different language, is in order to make this business work, you have to play offense. We have got to stop playing defense. All of you talked about it, right? In every little flexibility, when we sell our cattle, you can't think about what your break even is when you have an offer on the phone. That's a defensive move. The offensive move would be to know that ahead of time. Think about where you're going through the motions and where you're just doing it because it's always been done like that. And I think if you If you write something on your whiteboard or you have an office and you really want to add some of these things we talked about tonight, you have to just switch. You got to be on the other side. You have to take your game to an offensive level. You're not going to see some of these changes or be able to incorporate some of these things that we talked about tonight if you're playing defense. I think that's a really, and like I said, it comes up every single time we do one of these. The first step is to be in the offensive where you get to make the plays. Don't just react. You need to be making the plays, understanding, calling the game based on your knowledge. I think this was a great profit panel. I think this was incredibly helpful. I want to thank you all for your time tonight and joining us. If we have any questions or anyone wants your guys' contact information, I'll be sure to connect any of the Kettle Menu members. Lutz is a business solution firm born and raised in Nebraska with offices in Grand Island, Hastings, Lincoln, and Omaha. They invest in long-term partnerships with farmers and agribusiness owners. Lutz has extensive experience in the agricultural industry and provides accounting, financial, technology, M&A, and staffing solutions tailored to you. To learn more, visit www.lutz.us backslash ag. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Cattleman U podcast. Don't forget to subscribe at cattlemanulive.com slash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to review when you get there. We are excited to learn alongside you and remember the grass is greener where you water it.